Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on this episode, playing, thinking, doing board games, of course. And Ryan, we have a topic. And what is our topic? We're going to push up, push up, push some cubes. We got Viva Lost Euros with Board on the Air as special guests. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And we're back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. We're going to do some playing, thinking, doing board games. And uh, I'll, I'll take lead on this right away. Um, uh, in, the, in the nature of this episode, uh, Viva Los Euro, the, the joy of the Euro board game, I'm going to talk about La Granja. And I'm pretty sure that everybody uh, with headphones on right now has played this game and has an appreciation for it. So Lagrana is designed by Michael Keller and Andreas Odendahl, I believe. Yeah. Uh, published. The one I have is published by Spielworks. And I think there is a, uh, um, there's a North American. I forget who, uh, who is, who's brought it in. Real Bonacore company again. Yeah, there there was a strong stronghold edition. There's there's probably a Z-Man Games edition or something. (laughs) Um, So this is uh, that's Euro. It is so Euro. I've described this game before as uh, if you take Stefan Feld and Uwe Rosenberg and mash those two game systems together, you would get a hybrid called Lagranha. And uh, the (laughs) I was going to say the theme because, you know, all good Euros have a sense of theme, don't they? Um, the theme of this, like every good Euro is agriculture. Um, mm-hmm. You are planting crops, putting things in wheelbarrows, bringing it to market, uh, establishing market stalls, getting victory points. Uh, uh, um, this time you're not pushing cubes, you're pushing cylinders. A little switch it up here. Just a little switcheroo, just a little switcheroo. Cylinders, not cubes. It's it, it's still wood. <laughs> <laughs> Wooden components. Um, but the thing I love about this game is the card-driven system, that multi-use card. Uh, the card, as, as if you're looking at the geography of the card, on the top, you'll have um, your market, uh, uh, your, your market barrow, um, um, I, say, I would say Re- recipe, recipe list. Yeah. Um, what items, if you need grapes, if you need wine, if you need pork, if you need, you know, processed pork. 
Um, then on the left side is what of the three different crops that you're going to grow. Is it going to be grapes, olives, wheat? Uh, on the right-hand side, you have um, your, uh, um, your pig stalls, I guess, for uh, breeding pigs. And above that, you will have a, um, an extra um, don donkey uh, burro delivery. And uh, I believe the donkey action. Yeah, I believe there's an extra <laughs> coin for your income. And then the last one is, uh, is the ability to increase your hand. That on the bottom of the card um, is uh, basically the, that whole unique player powers where you can change uh, asymmetrically the power or this, the, the game system that you're going to use. And uh, wow, all difficult decisions, all great decisions. Um, I like the uh, on the left hand side and on one of the parts of the game where you roll dice again, euros, it's not like, you know, that kind of randomness, but you roll the dice to indicate what of the five categories that everybody gets to pick from uh, to from the market to uh, to help their production of their granja and uh, six rounds. And like every good euro, six rounds, whoever has most victory points wins the game. I adore this game. That's it. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And, and it's that I like it's the multi-use cards and there's always those things that you can like convert things like willy nilly kind of thing. Like all those free actions you can do yeah. just to kind of try to squeeze out that one more <laughs> thing. I think we've made it mentioned like it's kind of like similar in like uh lost ruins of Arnak, Arnak kind of yeah. does that too, where you can kind of like those behind the scenes deals. Yeah take those free actions to kind of get you that one more thing that you kind of need just to do that one bigger thing. Yeah. yeah. I really I like when games that. do that when they're, they're like, okay, this is what you could do. Figure out how to get there. Yeah. Cause Terra Mystica is big into that too, which is one mm. thing I love about Terra Mystica. Yeah. This flip this to do this and turn like this that. into a switch and flip this switch and boop, there you go. You got what you needed in the end because you figured out the formula. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about that puzzle of, uh, I need this to get this, I have to do this, and to get that, I have to do this. And you're, you're reverse engineering every turn. <laughs> and it's dripping with theme. <laughs> and then you've done so many of them, then you're like, okay, well, how did this start again? Yeah. yeah. Where, where was I going? <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, there's a, a lot of the times I'll sit there and go, okay, I'm going to try and you know, pr just produce a lot of, a lot of pigs or, you know, I'm going to try and push this element. Um, there's, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I've played this, oh, a blast of times because it's on BGA. And so I'll do a solo plays and I'll crank out a game in 20 minutes and then go, oh, okay, I'll try it this this way now. So yeah, that's La Granja. And a new edition is being brought out by, I believe it's Board and Dice. Stop they're, it. They're going to have like a, like a deluxified edition or a deluxe edition with some promo stuff in there and see for me a deluxified euro is thicker cardboard that's it just <laughs> thicker cardboard right <laughs> Ryan, ryan's copy of scythe has, says something different <laughs> <laughs> cool. ryan's deluxified everything yeah. says something about that um let's go to ian because i think ryan's gonna be full froth when he when he talks about his uh, item here so <laughs> ian <laughs> uh sure let's talk about ticket to ride mm -hmm. shall we 
so I wanted to actually mention one of the expansions because um, until recently we were still shut in our houses with whoever we live with. And so two player games are key in that time. And so my wife and I tried Ticket to Ride. Well, didn't try. We've played it before, but we yeah. broke out Ticket to Ride with the Switzerland map. Have you guys ever played not. Switzerland? I'm looking at the map right now. It looks really cool. I'm trying to remember which one this is. It's a, it's a, it's, it actually comes with the India pack, which is the second of the map oh, packs yeah, that they okay. started releasing on the back side of the board. And so, what those two countries have in common, I have no idea, but they, <laughs> <laughs> they decided to package them together. Yeah. And uh, so, it's a flippable board, of course. But it's really good for it's a it's a two to three only board, yeah. so you you can only play it with two or three players. Yeah, which is nice because then they tailor the board to that low player count. So I really recommend it for when you've got you know only a, only two of you playing the game because the, the map's nice and tight. Yeah, and it does this interesting thing where you try to connect countries as well as the cities, and so there's multiple points access points to countries. Mm-hmm. If you can connect to countries, you can actually have an option of different entry points. The um, the France map idea. has that. I, I recognize that when we played it with me. Yeah, they have uh, go from uh, um, Lyon to Germany, and and they'll they'll have you might have three different ways you can turn off into Germany. So I thought that was really cool. And so if this right, is part yeah. of it, yeah, that's that's awesome. And of course, because it's Switzerland, uh, mountain tunnel routes are pretty huge. The girls were introduced in the Europe edition. Yeah. And uh, and with that one, you've got the, what do you call them? I guess just the wild cards, right? Like the yeah. rainbow train cards. They can only be used for mountain routes. Yeah. So they're a little less powerful. Uh, but if you're going for lots of those, you want to save up on mm. those guys. Are the is the mount or is the are the I'm not too sure are the mountain routes uh, the mechanism where you have to maybe have some extra ones because you might have to spend extra right. time on it depending on if you flip that's okay. right you flip over yeah. three cards and if they're the same color you have to pay that many extra trains yeah. yeah so there's there's times where you could have it but not have the extra time or extra tax on it or whatever they they have them thematically associated with it you i'm just keep, i'm gonna keep that yeah. doesn't match <laughs> i'm saying it so i can make sure by by the time we do the segment dave's face is just full of twitches <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you know what that word means yeah, yeah. you're using the word incorrectly <laughs> there's a reason why shay's not here <laughs> um but there's a i really like the way that all these different map packs have like added something extra and or done or you know, made a niche for themselves inside mm-hmm. of Ticket to Ride. And yeah. so Switzerland's niche is that it's really good with two players and three players too. But like when you got the lower player counts, it's a great option. I'm, I'm loving the inside joke that, uh, I mean, Switzerland is the smallest country in Europe. So it's like, hey, two players? Well, let's just pick the smallest country in Europe. <laughs> well, there's Luxembourg, but... <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> okay, yeah, good point. Well, wait, they have a, but it was a fan made. They have Amsterdam. Oh, wait, they have a small, the small box version of Amsterdam, don't they? Uh, oh, maybe. I well, think they, they have, they the have London. Netherlands is a legit pack. Netherlands, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, yeah. yeah, cool. Cool. I want, I think I might have to pick this up. The family loves this one. 
Ryan's already frothing. He's <laughs> I'm just going to go grab my napkins. Here wipe up the drool. All right. All right, everybody sit back. Make sure your seatbelts tightened up. This, is, this isn't going to be a long segment, but uh, this time I have a little bit of news is that fantasy flight um, over on social media, they've actually been teasing um, something that's coming in the, I believe it's in like the Arkham or the mansions of madness world. Before that, they actually came out of like nowhere and said, hey, we're going to introduce the next Arkham Horror, the card game, the living card game expansion, which is it was time for that because the the last cycle had um, completed. They released the last Mythos pack. And so now it's time like people are starting to think what's going to happen next. So they announced the next expansion. And they made the huge announcement. Like, this is huge in the LCG world that they said they are no longer doing the individual packs for the card game anymore. What you're going to do, what they're going to do now is for this expansion, which I believe they are calling to the ends of the, to the edge of the earth, there are going to be two big box expansions. One box is only the new cards, like the new player cards and the new characters. So if you want new characters and new player cards to add to your decks, there's a box for that. Or there's the second box, which is just the campaign now. So instead of buying the big deluxe edition, uh, sorry, the big deluxe expansion, plus all six scenario packs, nope, they all put it all into one big box and said, this is the campaign. No longer there's pack, there's no pack collecting anymore, which was a big thing that a lot of people were complaining about is that if you missed out on a pack, you couldn't finish the story. Yeah, you, you had a hiccup complete, in the chapter. You complete the campaign. Yeah, and so now they've taken this feedback that I think players, like myself included, have been giving Fantasy Flight, say we don't want to collect packs for this game anymore. Just give us all the packs all at once. Just give us a box of campaign. Well, no, that's not. It's not, <laughs> that's not necessarily it. We just wanted all of it all at once so that we didn't have to wait. You would have to wait six months in order to complete the story. Now we can complete, you can sit down in like a weekend or a couple weekends and pump out the actual campaign now. And there are probably situations where um, some of those packs were sold out and you could never complete and it. That was, that was a whole big thing about those past cycles where once a cycle was completed and it's sold off the shelves, it takes fantasy flight forever <laughs> to bring a, bring a cycle back into print. Like um, I remember, I think uh, Amazing Stories just finally just started getting back in like some of the old ones, like the Forgotten Age, which was like the third cycle, or even um, uh, Dunwich Legacy, which was the first cycle. Like they kind of finally found some of those packs to come back in. They sold off right away because they're so hard to find. Yeah. So now what we're hoping that this is the kind of the model to go forward. I think they're going to use this one as a test because I think what I've heard is that this might be the way that Marvel Champions might go now too, where there will just be a scenario box. And then every so often they'll release a box that has like four or five heroes in it instead of just individual hero packs. That's, that's cool. Just, that's, just, that's just kind of rumor that's kind of going on. That's kind of cool. What if I only want like one or two of the heroes? Well, the current model would be good for that for you. <laughs> so Arkham Horror is getting a, a big overhaul on their LCG distribution. I kind of like it because I've got lots of investigators. I've got lots of player cards from all of the stuff that I have so far. So I might only just pick up just the campaign because I love playing through the campaigns. Nice. 
So I might nice. just get the campaign box. So I don't have to spend $120. I only have to spend like $50 now on the campaign. So you're saying you're not going to be a completionist? I haven't went on record. <laughs> <laughs> I might come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, those new player cards are probably more thematic to the set. So I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, there you go. That, that, that's how I'll justify it. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is probably sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. And we're back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. We're going to go straight into the topic. And the topic is Viva Los Euro. Well, you is, said it wrong. You said it wrong. Do you want me, do you want me to do, do you want, I'll give yes, you some yes. Elvis then. Our topic tonight is Viva Los Euro. There you go. Thank you. Pretty good. Yeah, it, was pretty sure. it was okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um uh, strike a pose all right there we go um uh, <laughs> for radio yeah well if you can see yeah no. um uh it is uh our our chance to to sing praise to the euro board game um the the wondrous beauty of it the elegantness is elegantness a word i think so in this I case for tonight it will be for tonight it, it will no. be because it has yes, no theme connected to it. So, um, like being a good geek, I did some research. Um, and I think the best way to go through this is I'll uh, I'll blast some information. I'll pause. We'll reflect on it. We'll add to it. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, critique the conjecture. And then we'll carry on to the next segment and, and continue to talk about uh, um, the, the beauty of the Euro. And I had mentioned to Ryan today that I think this episode is going to be devastating to my wallet because everybody will go, oh, what do you mean you don't have this game? You should have this game. And in the conversation, I'll be, okay, what online vendor has? There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll happen. That'll happen. I'm going to call that the Friday Night Game Syndrome. Yeah. Because apparently <laughs> that's two podcasts I've listened to and they've, they're buying games while they're talking. So that's awesome. Um, <laughs> all right. So, the uh, again... Please, if you're listening and I'm missing something, um, don't have any facial, um, you know, ticks and stuff like that. Uh, just, you know, it's a, it's just conjecture. Okay, so uh, let's start off with the history. And um, I picked because it's one of my favorite games. The, um, let's start in the 1960s with uh, an individual named Sid Saxon, who who uh, popped out this game called Acquire. And considering at the time that most of the parlor games, the, the, the games in North America were tending towards roll and move. This was completely um, um, on the other side of the spectrum of that. And this game continued to have a big influence in the German and European uh, uh, communities because it became not necessarily a template, but a model where everybody got to see um, like, like I always say, Ryan, it's a, a proof of concept, right? Um, everybody got to see that this idea 
had some merit. It had some some areas to explore. So uh, this started to spread uh, through France and the lead. I mean, Euro, right? So it started to spread. Um, a lot of people think that Germany was not necessarily the center, but um, it's recognized, I think, as being one of the powerhouse uh, contributors to the Euro genre. Um, moving on, so uh, I, this was the interesting part because uh, being a high school teacher, I teach sociology and psychology and such. Um, when I started reading this once and then I read it again in another article, the concept that uh, the German Euro, which is not, you know, that doesn't have conflict, um, stems from, and like I said, some research in sociology presents a theory that post-war Germany and German society had an aversion to creating ideas or work that had direct conflict or a glorification of war. Um, and when I read that, I was thinking, oh, okay, that's a, that's an interesting theory. And then my own background knowledge in other areas like music uh, started to kind of Venn diagram mesh or sync up. And uh, that's about the same time as the Beatles when they went to Hamburg and they, 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 you know, put their 10,000 hours of, of, uh, of time into uh, writing music, creating music. And, um, and of course I was a big Beatles nerd. Um, and in that same area and in that same community was a huge art movement in photography and, and modern art and graphic, not necessarily graphic arts, but the beginning of this concept of, of multimedia art. And um, so, yeah, that kind of, that duality kind of verified to me that, okay, yeah, I can see that. I can see where the, you know, does art reflect, does culture reflect art or does art reflect culture? That kind of dynamic. Um, so let's accelerate to 95 and uh, just like the, uh, the British invasion in music, you have the German board game invasion with Catan, the settlers of Catan uh, hits North America markets. And uh, um, I, th I think that game did the same thing as the Beatles did for pop music because it is probably, I think, I mean, you guys can pop in. It's one of the, the major contributors or anchors for Euros in North America. What do you guys think? Yeah, I would say it's the granddaddy of them all. Like it's it's the one that people think of when they think of, you know, a, a euro. Like, in my opinion, yeah, right. It's you know, there's very few board gamers you talk to that that isn't one of the first game, if not the first game they played to get into the hobby. Yeah, Ryan, Ian. I mean, it's great. <laughs> Is there anything before that, that 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 had as much of an impact as that game coming across? The only thing I can think of is Magic the Gathering, but that's not in the same, that's yeah. not what we're talking about. Okay. But other than that, yeah. no, I don't think so. All right. So yeah, my and I, yeah, and I I had discovered um Catan later because I what I only came into the hobby less than 10 years ago or something like that or ish mm -hmm. and so uh Catan wasn't my first my first one i actually didn't know that these games existed <laughs> for a long time but we're gonna get there yeah cool so um that's that's bringing us i think that's a good enough background um let's talk about some characteristics so when we're talking about euro games what exactly are the qualities or elements so 
I'm going to burn through some stuff. You guys can yay or nay, or, you know, um, say, you know, I identify if it's one of your favorite elements, but um, focused on economics and the acquisition of resources rather than direct conflict. Yep. That, yep. That's very Euro. Okay. Uh, yep, limited yep. Lots of gathering of resources. Yeah. Uh, limited amount of luck. Definitely. Yeah. I would say that. So, um, yeah. I remember Ludology would always talk about input and output yeah. randomness. Yeah. And so I think that's a, oh, no, I don't remember which is which. Ryan, help me out. But I think the input is the one we want, right? Yeah, where, where you have where, control. Where the randomness goes where into we like have, the yeah. game set up yeah. and things yeah, like where that. Yeah, where we have, we have, we have is, agency. Yeah. Over over exactly, um, yeah. over the over the randomness a bit, where the output is, hey, I rolled a dice. Oh, the result is not what I wanted, and therefore like, that was the out, that was the output of my yeah, like of risk. My action risk is very much a oh damn, I didn't get what I wanted, and I I lose. <laughs> yeah, which is always awesome. Okay, um, so uh, yeah, <laughs> there's pretty as the less luck, the better for a euro, I guess. Uh, the use of abstracted locales, as I said with Lagranha, it's a farming game, kinda. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a it's a mechanism wrapped around a farming art. Uh, port towns like Lahav. Uh, what are the, what are the, some uh, other locales that are very dominant to the Euro genre? Building a castle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kalis. Yep, yep. Play building out farmyards. Yeah, like, like yeah. tile, tile, tile placing out farmyards or something like that. Yeah, completing your city, delivering your goods to the port. Cool. Right. Trading oh. on the Mediterranean, yeah. <laughs> uh, connecting routes and delivering items, and yeah. Um, so, uh, moving on to some more characteristics. Um, uh, the um, emphasis is on individual development and comparative achievement rather than direct conflict. So, yeah, yeah, like when I when I think of a Euro game, it's not uh, like if I if I get in somebody's way, I'm like it's that that's it's not usually it's not usually like an intentional type of thing. Like oh, I got to do this to screw over Ian, or I got to do this to screw over Norm. Yeah, I think like, like that that's usually like subsidiary. It's not the main focus. Yeah, yeah. the focus is building up, not tearing down. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're getting in somebody's way just by going to a spot before them, right? But usually there's a mechanic that allows them to get around that so that you're not limiting what they can do by your play. Yeah. Or, or having option B, option C. Yeah. 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 Because I, because I went to this spot first, um, Dave isn't locked out of doing everything. He's, yeah. He, he has something, some, maybe some suboptimal. Yeah thing to do now that idea of uh, of never having a wasted turn i think that's what that's what is a, a lot of this kind of b option b option c kind of thing okay um so my my game ahead. from last week holt's vocal term is probably because it's about tearing down it's probably not a uh, a euro is that uh is is that uh is that euro for jenga All right. um uh this is this is a good one mechanisms more so than themes or narrative yeah <laughs> yeah but when do we want to argue about theme 
Let's wait till later. Let's throw it down right now. No, no, I think that's coming up. That's coming up in late in in the later segments that that you that you have late. We'll wait. We'll we'll get into it. Well, we'll put a pin in that one. Ian Ian wants to talk about theme. Okay. All right. Uh, This is I, I like this one. Easy to play with levels of depth. And the first thing I think of is like something like Ticket to Ride, where you can on the surface you you just have fun with it, or you can really dial it in and try to you know predict or you know navigate the board in a certain way. So what do you guys? Yeah, think? I I think the Euro genre has evolved. Like I would say, some of those earlier ones, um, people may have perceived as complex uh, for the time. Yeah, yeah. Like we're talking like one of the one of the what was one of the big ones that came over was like Puerto Rico. Yeah. Which I think that 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 took like the United States by storm. Yeah. It was like, wow, this thing is like this is complex. How do you how are you gonna know remember all of these rules? And like how how what's the, what's this interaction and everything? And like we kind of we can like look at Puerto Rico now as like Okay, yeah, uh, like yeah, yeah, it's got some depth to its gameplay, but it, overall it's not a complex yeah, game. Yeah, it requires a rule book, so it's it's more complex than just, you know, three two three rules. Like if I was well, going to this is a characteristic Rico. so much as a uh, just something that games are striving for. I think that's okay. it's a level of quality that we critique them on, but I don't know that it defines okay. a euro game necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think as they came across, you know, you go from a genre that, as, as you mentioned, was dominated by roll and move to stuff where there's actual limitations of how you have to do stuff. And I think that's where the mechanics of them all came in. All right. Um, uh, game time is typically a controlled length, predetermined winning score, game turns, depletion of a certain resource, with game time lasting 30 to 120 minutes, typically in the, in the I would say, in the, the early Euros. Uh, and player count is usually two to four. So I think think that kind of gives it a good dimension. Yes, no? Yep. I would, I would also, like as Ryan pointed out, that newer games can go even longer. But, I mean, TI, TI4, right? Um, but, but generally speaking... If if we're gonna consider the the beginnings of the euro, I think I think that one has uh, um, yeah, and merit. I think I think that's due too because I I latched onto that point where it has the um you you know when the end of the game is like you know yeah. how the end of the game is going like we're talking about like at Monopoly like we kind of know <laughs> we know how to get to the end but. How, like, how long like, will it, it take? How long is that going to take? Like, it, like Monopoly, it would take forever in some cases yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah, like the predetermined rounds, like yeah. that was something that we hadn't really seen. Um, yeah, I'm, I remember playing eight-hour risk games and still not getting done because somebody just wouldn't get out of Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's you know you go from you're playing the game till everybody's eliminated but one to okay, you're going to twelve points. Right? Yeah. It's it's just it's that set level of where the game's going to end, and you can see it coming, right? Yeah. And the I think and I think that's a big draw for for um, new players, right? The fact that you say a game is going to take an hour, and it's actually going to take an hour. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. people yeah. coming into the hobby respect it's, that. It's a lot more uh, approachable as opposed to hey, I'm bringing out risk. 
What are you guys yeah, doing this weekend? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? that, the whole weekend. Yeah. And, that, and that controlled length of time also plays into that these ended up being strategy-like games because I have to accomplish something before these other players do with a certain – with, and we're all on the same level. We all have the yeah. same amount of time to do something. So I have to try to do my thing better than the other person. Yeah. The, um, the characteristic that to me is, is, is the most important, uh, and it's not really defined on the list. I'll just point it out is because uh, Dave had mentioned it. Um, there's no relatively, but as much as they can, there's no player elimination. And I'm a kind of board gamer where I want everybody to have fun. And the moment someone's not having fun, I'm not having fun, right? So I love that aspect of it that, that I mean, you could suck at the game, but you're still in it, right? I mean, you're not sitting back and going, okay, what else can I do while well, you guys are having fun, right? So, and so that's, <laughs> that's leading into um, this idea of no, uh, uh, there's no player elimination. Uh, what do you guys feel about that? Yeah, for the most part, like there, there are times in Euro games where a player could feel like whatever I do, I am not going to catch up. Like there, there, there are there are times where that you can you can feel like that in, in certain it like no, this is not like an overall arching thing of all Euro mm-hmm. games, but there are games out there that you can feel like, man, I'm sitting here in Catan with three <laughs> points, and Dave's in there. He's been at nine points for like ever. Like he's going to obviously do this before I am going to get there. Yeah. So I feel like I have no, I, I, well, as a guy, I probably played that game horribly. <laughs> I'll probably will learn from that mistake. But the game will, the game comes to an end fast though. Or I mean, relatively speaking compared to risk. Right. So yeah, it's kind of like, okay, I suck this game, but again, let's play it again. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, you can, you can be playing and not doing well, but you know, there, there's still that level of competitiveness in the game that if you could do something, you're accomplishing something, right? You're not just, okay, I just got wiped out of Australia and I'm out, <laughs> right? <laughs> cool. Um, Ian, any weigh-in points on the uh, player elimination concepts? Good. Yeah. <laughs> see, <laughs> Why would that, be see that's the part of me. I want to make sure everybody... Is, is has a chance. I don't want Ian to feel like he he's eliminated from the conversation. I want to make sure you have. So, um, uh, low he's random- just waiting for theme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> low randomness. <laughs> Let's talk about randomness in euros. Uh, we had mentioned this idea about dice and input output randomness. Um, who, yeah, who 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 has any issues with uh, with that or that? Hey, randomness sometimes chaos is sometimes fun. Dave, how well, do you feel about it? For me, ran- randomness is a love-hate thing. There, <laughs> there's games where randomness just drives me nuts. And, and a prime example is Catan. You know, the randomness of those dice can drop. You, you can sit there for so long and get nothing accomplished. But then you add some randomness into some of the other games, and it's like, oh, I kind of appreciate this you know it's it's not the same game every time right so i I think euros always they say they try to eliminate randomness but i find all of them have just that one thin layer of randomness to it to add variability it's usage of it i guess yeah yeah ryan yeah 
that's a good point. Yeah. The variability is is important. Yeah. yeah. Um, because otherwise the games gets you don't want the game to get stale. Right. Yeah. And you do run the risk. And 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 many of these games that do have the what we refer to as that 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 output randomness where you feel like you have no agency. I think most Euro games try to give you some way to mitigate the luck. Like yeah. Castles of Burgundy, they have the worker tiles that allow you to adjust the dice up and down. And I can bend as many as I want as long as I have them to try to adjust the dice that in case I did yeah. roll poorly, something like that. Or well, Voyages of Marco funny. Polo, when you roll the dice at the beginning of the turn, if you got a crappy low roll, at least you got there's some compensation. You can get some money and some camels to get out of the deals to try to try to help you out a little bit. So I, I like the fact that some of these games do try to, they address the fact that there is this randomness. Yeah. Some players might have, yeah, yeah, it is to an extent. I think if you go too far with that uh, mitigation idea, then what's the point of the dice in the first place? (laughs) Well, like, yeah, these examples I have, these examples I have aren't like, they're, they're not crazy. Yeah. They're not that crazy going out of the way. But maybe part of your strategy was, was to, to find that tech tree element where, the dice mitigation isn't going to be an issue. Like, I mean, in, in uh, castles of Burgundy, there's some science tiles where, where all of a sudden it's like, you're getting double the workers or your plus one is now plus two. So you get, you know, a larger swing margin. Yeah, I like it better when you got to work, you have to work for it, right? You have to earn the, the right to do that. By your choices. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, um, do you guys consider cards to be a, a, a random element in uh in euros well anytime that you have card draw there's always going to be some sort of there's always probabilities um at at play okay so you you can't can't agree with so if a a game does have card draws you just gotta you just gotta know that that a well a well shuffled deck of cards is is quite is quite random yeah i think lots of euros use cards and you know a lot of the way they get away for, or they add that mitigation is you'll have three of them out or four of them out and you can draw from them right but there's mm-hmm. always going to be that game where the cards just don't fall your way and no matter what you do you're not getting the, what you need <laughs> or, uh, but that's a euro right yeah. <laughs> like or, to or, me that's part of the fun my favorite one is uh, playing Ticket to Ride with my daughter and it's getting near the end and she's pulling tickets. It's like, oh, that one's connected. Oh, that one's connected. It's like, oh, come on. It's just You just yeah. made 20 points for just like, oh, I've got a lot of trains on the board. <laughs> yeah, this is part of my road already. Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of sit there and go, yeah, that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one also, the the uh, I've uh, in the research, I read a lot of people talking about um, the randomness on board setup that that's important because that as Ian you had pointed out it gives some variability in in the gameplay so it's not this static scripted uh, element what do you guys what do you guys think about that concept of of pre-game even, randomness even with settlers that was a big draw the fact that the island was never the same I mean, when we were getting into games, like that was cool. <laughs> like, oh, the board is not the same all the time. That's that was a huge draw too. Yeah, every time, every so, time I set this up, I have good. a completely different game, and the way that I set this up is never going to be. I'm never going to play the same 
I always have I, I, I always have a problem with this because I'm never going to play the same game of Catan twice. Well, just the way the layout is never <laughs> going to appear, but yeah. you are going to end up playing probably a very similar game. Yeah. Oh, now I got to do the probabilities. <laughs> <laughs> did, I, did I mention we're teachers? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about that idea. Where's that, my uh, factorial button? <laughs> <laughs> I am not editing that out. Yeah. <laughs> that was random, right? I'm okay yeah, with that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like randomness and setup is it is cool. It is it, it it does mean you're starting out differently. And as Ryan says, you, you still end up with your dedicated strategies that you go back to. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I can't think of a prime example, but there are board games that you set up exactly the same every time in a Euro, and they they still feel random or different each time you play it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great example is Ian's favorite game of all time. Terra Mystica is the same board. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's nothing that changes the board, but the way that the players the go and put out their initial, their, their initial buildings is quite rad. could, could be quite randomness. Like that kind of like that player driven randomness. Well, yeah. And can unless I, if you play, unless if you play with the exact same group, yeah. play the exact same factions <laughs> and put their buildings yeah. in the exact same places every time. Yeah. Okay. Now we're, now we're getting there. I would say uh, up the caffeine with that, with that player group. <laughs> yeah. So we're, you know, in, uh, with Terra Mystica where they have, they don't have that uh, randomness of the setup. They have the asymmetrical powers yeah. of the different things to mitigate it. Cool. Mm-hmm. So anything else about randomness without being so random? Did you figure it out, Ian? okay so let's there's people, uh, there's people listening right now they have no idea what factorial actually means <laughs> <laughs> who needs factorials when you grow up um so uh let's get to the talking points uh the first one i have is is your own gamer moment when you discovered or realized what the euro game offers so who wants to step up Sure. Uh, Catan. I mean, honestly, honestly, it was Settlers of Catan because our a friend of mine had it and him and another friend were like, oh, yeah, I played out of my family and they started talking about it. I'm like, oh, I got to play this game. Bring it over. And that turned into every single weekend people would be at my place playing Settlers for hours on end, like just every weekend. And we loved it. We would have a game going on at the table. If there was more people, we'd have another game going on at the floor in the living room. And we just played it over and over and over again. And I remember saying, okay, I'm going to look into this, these board games. Cause I wonder if there's more. And then I looked on the Wikipedia of board game and then they had Catan. And then I saw Carcassonne and I'm like, Oh, well, this game looks very different, but also kind of interesting. And so I bought Carcassonne. And it was a whole different experience, but along the same level. And I loved it. And then Puerto Rico was the next next one. My friend Brett brought it back from the st- a trip to the States. He brought back this Puerto Rico game. And we got into that. And that was, it was, like you said, at that point, it was very complex. It was a real step above. Yeah. And we just sank our teeth into it. <laughs> cool. This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge from right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, 
Breakout escapes, escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Yeah, because I remember when we had that episode of Memories, you talked about, oh, I want, I, I get back to that Catan weekend, you know, moment or feeling. So, yeah, yeah that's awesome. Great. Um, Dave, Ryan, who wants to? Mine, mine will be quick because I've told my story on the podcast a couple of times already before, but Alhambra was my first um, introduction into this. Uh, what was my first Euro game. It was also my introduction into the modern hobby board gaming that Ian got me into. So yeah, it was that Alhambra thing that, that, that a game that really doesn't look like anything that I thought a board game should have looked like. like we're we're playing down tiles there's a puzzle aspect from it we're scoring these points in weird ways that i didn't understand in the very beginning and then the kind of like like ian said like are do other things like this exist and everything and then i think it was not too long after that the night at ian's we, we played um agricola and i thought that game was very interesting like this was definitely something completely different that i didn't even know that could that could possibly um um <laughs> happen and, and i and i did horrible like my score like i said i i'm in the negatives guys i i, I didn't score any points this game like what is going on they're like oh yeah this could be rough for your first time i remember my first time playing agricola yeah misery farm of, type of thing and then i looked then i found uh, i found out what castles of burgundy was and i thought wow th- okay this is even this is even way out there and then when ian introduced me to terra mystica my mind went <laughs> like this thing is awesome this is the kind of game that i enjoy like look at all the stuff that i can do and look <laughs> at the intro look at the intricacies of all these actions and i have to plan like i'm getting decimated here because i have no plan and Ian's sitting over there. Oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make two kingdoms and something like that. Oh, I'm gonna link them together. And <laughs> so you learned by being decimated. Yeah, and it's just like just the the level of <laughs> thinking. Yeah, the level of thinking that got me into these games. I was just like, my brain is like this is what I've wanted, <laughs> rather than just sitting and mindlessly playing. Like my video games late at night for a while, just like I'm just gonna mine, I'm just gonna mine for experience points so that I get powerful enough that I can take down the castle. <laughs> yeah, good old Diablo two. I'll uh, work. I play till two in the morning. Dave, yeah. well, you know, for me, for us or for me personally, you know, Catan was that that first game I started back into it. Like I had played Axes and Allies growing up, and the Monopolies, of course, which everybody hit, you know, but you know, we went out to the lake. We friends of us had introduced us Catan, so we played it a lot. And you know, after four or five weekends of the lake, where nobody would trade with me, and my wife went over and over and over again, I started looking for some good games. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, you know, I, I went deeper into the hobby. Yeah. You know, I still had no idea what a euro was. All I knew is that these were different. I was no longer rolling right or rolling moving. Right. You know, I, yeah. I discovered seven wonders. And for me, that mm-hmm. was, that was the one that really, you know, hit all the buttons for me. 
because here's a game you could play with up to seven people in 30 minutes. And it was different every time I played because of how the cards came out. But there was still some interaction with your neighbors and stuff. And so that's the one that got me really researching games saying, okay, this one was a lot of fun. What else is out there? Yeah. Right. You know, and that's, and we hit all the gateway games from that point on, you know, we did our carcass on, we did our ticket to ride. We did our small world, you know, Shea brought pandemic home from school and was like, it's a cooperative game. Yeah. But who wins? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Someone has to win. Exactly. Cool. This makes no sense. Does not compute. <laughs> but I'm having fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, cool. for me, it was really seven wonders. Right on. Nice. Well, um, for me, and uh, and this is an interesting because I mean, I had when I told Ryan this, uh, you, you kind of went what? Um, I had previously to Euros had played with a game Monday night game group uh, for twenty four years. We played Risk, and it was Mission Risk, and it <laughs> for playing with kind of the same core group of guys for that long. Uh, yes, it got scripted. Yes, we had to house rule the crap out of the game to keep it interesting. Yes, it was basically, for me at least, was just a meta game, just to mess with everybody else. Um, it got to the point where um, it, I, was just, I was just happy for the social time that I had with my friends. But then I was thinking, oh, man, there has to be more than this. And, I, and this is the weird part. There's kind of a there's kind of a, a branch to it. Uh, I remember being watching early on a Big Bang Theory, and Will Wheaton came on and then said, "Oh yeah, I got a board game, you know, uh, YouTube." And I was like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna see if he's lying." And sure enough, I stumbled upon Tabletop and watched uh, Catan. So went out and bought Catan. I watched Ticket to Ride. Went out Ticket to Ride. Catan. I, I mean, it, I, it was cool, but I hated that the, first of all, I hated the robber and I hated the fact that, you know, when you, you select your places and like, oh, you know, the, 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 the sweet numbers, right? The, the six, you know, the six through nine are the sweet numbers that as a math, math teacher will say that statistically get rolled the most. And then the, you know, the outliers. Well, I played so many games where it's like, there's no way you get seven 12s in a row there's no way that we've never rolled an eight right so that frustrated me to the point where it's like ah there's i'm i'm i don't have agency like the term we use i don't have any control it's it's i, I want more control um ticket to as ride math, was as, a, as the math teacher i'm like no there is a way yeah to roll seven <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you come stumbled across that one way yeah um but then uh um uh, and this was this was that sort of like nexus crossing point uh ryan and i teaching together we're across the hall from each other and uh started you know he i think it was like uh the kids at lunchtime were coming in playing and you went oh hey cool come over here and you showed me castles of burgundy that was the moment where i went this is exactly what i want i want as much control as i can possibly have i want as many different paths and choices i can take and i still want that competitiveness of of you know trying to do this more efficiently than the other person or seeing something that somebody else doesn't see that's my favorite thing about euros is sitting back going oh, 
do they notice that? Hmm. Do they notice that I need that? That it, right? That whole that whole Princess Bride thing. Will you choose the potion that right? I mean that whole yeah. back and forth thing, right? <laughs> um, I, that that game did it for me. It was awesome. So, thank you, Ryan. And and as everybody knows, uh, it's sort of like a chain. I say thank you to Ryan. Ryan says thank you to Ian because Ian's the one that <laughs> broke him into the. All right, it's a trickle theory. And we'll still thank Dave for being Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Dave. Um, yeah, that's what So, yeah, for. moving on. Uh, is there a difference? Oh, this will be interesting. Is there a difference between the classic Euro and the modern Euro? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a good answer. Moving on to the next one. Um, <laughs> yes. I did not say, yeah, the teacher. Oh, I did not say explain and define. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, <laughs> like, for me... The difference between the classic Euro and Castles of Burgundy to me is the definition of the classic Euro, right? It's, you know, it's brown. <laughs> it's, there's no theme whatsoever. <laughs> you're doing stuff and you're getting points and you're getting combos. And at the end, somebody wins, right? It's defined when you finish, you know, and then you get into some of the more modern stuff where there's all these bright colors uh, you know, the mechanics <laughs> haven't changed that much, but it's, you put it on the table and people don't just walk by like, what's that? Right. You know, yeah. you put Raja's on the table and there's all these bright colors everywhere. And, you know, everybody's like, that's kind of cool. And, and that's, I think aesthetically is where a lot of the big changes have come in euros. Okay. Uh, mechanic wise, there, there's always stuff that's, more interesting or takes it just a different level. And Shem Phillips does a great job of this with his worker placement stuff where, you know, like architects, you put mm -hmm. one on, you take one off. There was no more rounds. Like yeah. that was, that was a totally different thing after playing a hundred different worker placements where you play around, you take your workers back and you go again. Right. Mm -hmm. So art evolves is what you're saying. It's, it's, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think it's just, everything's gotten better. Right on. Yeah, my two cents on this is that I would, for me, a classic Euro are we're going back to like your Catans, your Carcassones, your um, Tarides, um, where there was usually there's usually in my mind there was like one huge mechanism that that the game revolved around. Um, there may have been some other smaller ones that kind of were in, were in there, but there's kind of like one thing like you can we can like define like. Carcassonne was like the tile laying game that probably broke ground for all tile laying games yeah. afterwards. And now when I think of now, when we think of tile laying games, they have a, they have like a mixture of mechanisms, like you're drafting tiles. Um, tiles are now being placed and now they are worker placement spots and type of things like that. So for me, a modern Euro now is kind of that, that idea of we're starting to blend these classic mechanisms together i don't know that's my that's my two cents it might not make any sense to anybody no, else yeah, but it totally makes sense yeah yeah. yeah 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 i would agree that there's a lot of different mechanics that get thrown together now as opposed to your your main mechanic and you know everdell's a prime example of that where you know there's card drafting there's worker placement there's all sorts of things in there that you think shouldn't work but do i'm starting to think that modern euros is sort of like a chop shop with cars where it's like, okay, we got a, we got a good frame. We're going to put this engine on. We're going to put this, you know, just, you know, you're starting to add these, uh, um, you know, mechanisms that have been used and, and, and 
have, as Ryan said, used so much that they've had subgenres of their mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ian, what do you got on this? I agree that it's a blend of mechanics. <laughs> I don't know that I like that better. Okay. I'm well, we're not, we're not saying really that it's better. Yeah. But like more modern design of a Euro game is is the 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 trend is kind of like we're blending mechanics together now. Okay, so and that's less interesting to me than having like the, the one thing are, that defined. Right. You, you like and I know clean? that I'm alone in that because yeah. people the board game hobby is going nuts for all these new games, but I just see them as okay, been there, done that, been there, but done that, been there, done that, been there, done that. And so yeah. I'm getting a little tired of the modern Euro. I want the, I want things to start evolving again and trying new things which i which i know I'm like why don't you innovate more yeah but i don't know i just honestly I i'm at the point where i would rather discover an older euro that i haven't played yet from 10 or 15 years ago than All play right. a new game coming out this year that's where and, i'm at and, and listeners of the show would know that because ian is that very ode to the old to the classics yeah. Why would I play this when I have this already? And it's, it's better. Yeah. No, I kind of yes. agree. It's, no, it's, Ian is a much better person than myself because <laughs> I have to, I have to play, I have to play everything. Well, uh, I, I, I don't think the industry doesn't agree with Ian because if you look at it, modern board games, their shelf life is a lot shorter than some of these oh, classic yeah. ones that are still being played and still, you know, people will get into it with a modern one, but go back and find these classics and then they're raving about that. And, you know, so yeah. it's, it's not. That's a very good point. Yeah, because yeah. someone yells El Grande, and I'm already looking for the game. Yeah. But yeah, because yeah, no, I totally see where you're coming from. Well, which brings us to: uh, Are there any subcategories in your world? Um, and I kind of threw some ideas down. Like, would we consider uh, economic euros, or networking euros, or worker placement euros, or is that just part of the whole Euro package? What do you guys think of that? I think now you're just kind of like branching mechanics. Okay. Like uh, all these things are under the Euro game umbrella. Like these things were developed, obviously it's called the Euro game in Europe somewhere and everything like that. And that's where these mechanics have, that's where these mechanics have come from. And so I, I think, I think we're just now just branching off into the different ways that Euro games can play. Okay. I don't know. Am I, am I off? Am I no, off no, that's kind of, that's kind of in my no, head. I, I'm like, okay. Uh, ahead, I, I would agree with them that, uh, you know, Euro is the category, right? There, yeah. There's different types of euros, but I don't think there's subcategories. They're just mechanics in the Euro category. Okay. What we should do is we should make a series where we cover different mechanics every week. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hey, that's brilliant. And, and we should call it the, Mechanism series. There we go. <laughs> um, oh, I, I thought I thought it was the series de mechanics. It's the uh, <laughs> series de mechanique. Uh, this the, I like this next question. This next topic. What brain itch does the euro satisfy for you, and why? See, look at the teacher. Please explain. Dave, we'll go right to you, man. Being the guest. for me, it's you know, it's control. It's you know, I like to, you know, if I'm playing well, I'm going to do well in that game. I, I like that aspect mm. of it where, 
nothing's going to take away what I'm doing. Nobody's going to, for the most part, block me from be, being able to do the strategy I want to in that game. And I love combos. And, and a lot of euros have those combos or those free actions that Vital likes to throw in, right? You know, and that's where euro euros just shine. Where I can block out theme with the best of them. You know, I can play. I've played many games, and they're like, "Well, what are we doing? We're getting points." Right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't. I don't see theme in games at all. <laughs> And I'm proud of that. <laughs> so you're sitting down at a spreadsheet and you're happy. Exactly. Hadrian's wall. I'm in my <laughs> glory. <laughs> okay. Ian, talk about some brain itch. What I really like with Euro games is that most of them allow me to build some sort of an infrastructure, whether that's creating your vineyard in viticulture or vinos or um, building up a city, whatever it is. And I really like the idea of trying to make all the rules and all the systems work in my favor when I'm looking ahead and trying to, and putting all the pieces together to get what I want. And so we, we kind of mentioned that before with La Granja, right? Where you're, how can I make all these little things work to get that just little extra I want? And of course, Terra Mystica is great, great at this. And yeah, great heroes are really good at that thinking ahead and then, you feel clever when you do it, right? Because if you if you come up with it in a way that you wouldn't have thought before, nobody else had thought of before, it's fun. Like you, you're like, oh yeah, look at me. <laughs> cool, Ryan. Yeah. So in my note, I said I'm going to build off Ian here for like a like a good euro. What what scratches my brain itch is that um, I always feel like I'm solving a puzzle mm-hmm. of, of some sorts, and that I have I have to discover how to be efficient in in, in this game. Um, by the, by the end of a game, I should have a, a good Euro in my mind for me. Um, a good Euro has made me feel clever at some point in time. Like, like, like Ian said, I, I, I figured that I figured out that, 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 that math that made me like, Oh, I can make this work and no one else can do this now type of thing. Um, and that, that, that planning piece, um, if you've planned well, you're going, you're going to be competitive. Like Dave, like they, like Dave said, yeah. and if you haven't planned well, well, you're, you're, you're going to get crushed. And so that's <laughs> like, you I have, do. You, you have to come back to the next game. Kate, I've got to learn from my mistakes. So here's the puzzle. Now, how do I not do what I did that last game? <laughs> oh, I saw, Oh, I saw Ian do this in Terra Mystica once. I'm going to try to do that. And then I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. <laughs> yeah. And then I tried to do it. And I'm like, well, I didn't do anywhere near how Ian did. How did he do that? That didn't yeah. happen. <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm going to read what I wrote because it's, it, it's succinct. And for people who know me, they'll just go, oh yeah, that's, that's the page. Um, creating an integrated system, a cascading network of switches and levers, then push the button and see what happens. And if it explodes, awesome. If I win, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Norm is the quintessential. I'm just going to do this to see what happens. Yeah. Oh, man, that blew up in my face. Okay, whatever. Or, or, hey, I'm going to do this. And everybody, no, 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 no. That's going to crash that. It's going to affect that. Okay, yeah, let's do this. Let's change the whole. We're taking the left turn, everybody. Strap the seatbelt on and put the mouse guard in. In Norm's very first plays of these types of games, 
Norm is the randomness of the game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm proud of that one. Hey there. If you like the content that we produce and the type of show we're creating, please leave a happy rating on iTunes or the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and it would help make it easier for others to find us when they search for board game podcasts. And thanks for listening. For me, that's I love finding buttons and switches and and uh one of my favorite things is uh is uh fleet the dice game where it's like oh this will trigger this and this will trigger this and this will trigger that and you're kind of like you know having a little happy dance as your whole system is starting to connect properly yeah yeah i'm kind of like that with dominion where i'll just like buy a card and and someone i'm playing with is like do you even know what it does i'm like no i'll find out when i read it when it comes in my hand yeah <laughs> let's see what happens yeah or or how what did uh, i just laughed uh your kingdom builder philosophy <laughs> i just want oh. the houses to go this way yeah. <laughs> but are, aren't you <laughs> points i just i just want it to look nice at the yeah. end <laughs> cool. oh wait that that didn't do anything <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, yes. I think that's the thing with Euros is I don't care if I win. I'm having fun figuring this thing out, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, and of course, if you're playing Martin Wallace, what is this debt thing he keeps doing? <laughs> why am I poor? Why am I negative all the time? Uh, yeah. Cool. So, okay, next one. Uh, what is a Euro hybrid? And what are some examples that capture the essence of the Euro? So the thing. Oh, Norm, what is a Euro hybrid? Ryan, <laughs> um, <laughs> Dave, Dave. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, we're hybridizing the answer. Yeah. Right? It's participating. <laughs> to me, anytime you talk about a hybrid, it's it's a mashing up of two things. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Let's talk about food. Oh, it's fusion. Okay, yeah, those two food, cheese and fish, does not work together ever, <laughs> right? So sometimes. A Euro hybrid or a Euro mash together works great. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, when what, it works what, great, what, what are we mashing with a Euro? What well, are- Scythe, right? I would say that Scythe is a great example for a Euro hybrid because you have this thematic perception that it's a it's a dudes on a map game where we're we're gonna have a combat, and then you get into the game, you're like. It's nothing like that, but it's cool because I can do these dual. If I plan my player board properly, I can have so many cool actions. And then there's still that element of, oh, wait, I have to fight somebody, but it's not like risk where it's devastating. It might, I might be happy to lose the game because I might get better, you know, uh, um, favor points or, right? I mean, there's just so many, it's not an aggressive thing, but it's still blends itself so that's what i'm thinking it's like it's this one it's got combat in it is that what you're thinking i don't i don't know uh, a combat. lot of the time europe's or the the hybrids do bring combat into euro well in dune imperium that's how i usually see it yeah. yeah yeah dune imperium has combat but it's not that same ameritrash type of combat right okay so yeah, like cyclades and kemet they have combat but they definitely yep. have euro stuff in them site our eclipse is a big one there right the the economic system of eclipse is very euro-y but then you're building up ships and you're going to send them to fight too so yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of time that hybrid is just multi-pass to victory like 
one of the things that one of the ones I'm thinking of is Lords of Hellas, where you can just sit there and fight, but you can also weasel around the back door and get it through other means for your victory. Yeah. 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 So when we're usually the general term of the hybrid, the Euro hybrid is that you mentioned that term, the, what they were usually referred to as the Ameritrash, the it's all dice in combat randomness. And, but now we got, we've introduced the elements. Like I always say, it's like, it's like an Ameritrash game where we have all that combat. We have all that luck of the dice rolls and everything. And we've also introduced points. You're scoring points. In, in the end as well. And the, the victor of the game is who scored the most points, like like Eclipse Yeah. in that game. The game is still over a, a, after the set number of rounds and whoever has accumulated the most points. But how did we get there? Well, we've had the spaceship combat. We've upgraded ships. We've yeah. researched. We've done all these types of things. You've mentioned here, Eric Lang has, yeah. done, has done a really good job of these type of hybrids because we talk about like things like Blood Rage and uh, Rising Sun are very much combat-oriented dudes on a map. We're all going to fight. Oh, but we've got card drafting in here, and when guys die in battle, you score points. And, oh, I'm upgrading the way that my tr- my troops do things. So I've got that tech tree type of thing, and, oh, I can score points better than you now. That That's, yeah, hybrid is taking that combat, dudes on the map thing, thematic elements, and then we're also scoring points <laughs> in, in, in the end. Cool. So you said that it has to be a hybrid to be thematic? <laughs> no, and I, hmm. I don't think I said that. I think he said schematic. He's talking about the plan. <laughs> no. Schematic. Well, yeah. I don't know. I, in my notes here under the hybrid, I started talking things like, like mind clash games. Yeah where we have games like Tricarian and Anachrony, very Euro-based games, like worker placement games, um, have to gather resources, have to go take those resources and convert them into points. But the thematics of those games really are drawn out. Like Tricarian is putting on these magic shows. So I have to go and gather all the resources to put together my show. And I have to advertise for my show first. And then I have to actually go put on the magic show and how I do that. And then I, I score points based on how well I managed to plan that out type of type of thing. So I don't know. I think of like mind clash games kind of being good hybrids of introducing more theme into a Euro game. Cool. I think theme is... I don't know. How can you tell me that Agricola is not thematic? I, I didn't say Agricola is not thematic. <laughs> oh, I think you did. I, I, I didn't you, use that. I didn't use that one as my example. I, heard, I think I heard you say that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that I don't think that you have to call if if you think that it's got thematic elements, you have to call it a hybrid. I think any Euro can still have thematic elements. I think that's a brilliance. If you have a brilliant Euro design, then you are figuring out a way to make your mechanics feel like you're doing what you're doing. But I don't think that has to have mm-hmm. a separate category. I think there's lots of heroes that do that well. In theater, there's a term we call the suspension of disbelief, where it's like, I know I'm sitting in a theater watching people, but if I can dive into the story, I can separate those two concepts. And I think there are some games where, some heroes where maybe, I mean, maybe you approach that, you know, but a like little you, bit. But I like that he used Agricola because Agricola is by far like the best farming game 
uh, like like other than like Saskatchewan made the farming game. <laughs> <laughs> farming, but uh, but yeah, but no, Agricolev does like you have to like you have to build the fences. You have to house the animals. The animals will reproduce. Like those yeah. things are great thematic things that I can. And that's why Agricola is probably one of these games that stands the test of time is because people actually kind of do feel like you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing and you're scoring the points for them. Sorry, I was promised a debate on theme, and so I'm trying to force that to happen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't actually well, attacking you. Right maybe now. it'll happen. Okay, okay. Now, now, Ian, Castles of Burgundy, theme. Oh, there's lots of theme there. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm building. Oh no, I'm sorry. Are we actually I'm, building a castle? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's just five color different tiles, and you're putting them on a board. And they have different. <laughs> yeah, they and they do different things. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Well, sp- speaking of that, let's transition into um, some faves. So each, um, yeah, let's let's take a turn. I'm spotlighting some people, or, or you know, or some of your favorite games, uh, um, just so that uh, so that whoever's listening will be pocketbook affected by this episode. <laughs> so, uh, I'll start us off. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I mean, I have a whole bunch of faves like Fell and, 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 and Uwe and, and, but Xavier George, uh, for some reason, he's, he's, he clicks for me. Um, he's done, uh, he's done, <laughs> I'm looking around Black Angel. He's done uh, Royal Palace, which is one of my favorite unsung games. And, uh, and I, I sometimes, uh, he, it's just this idea of, of, like I always say with music, you find an artist that speaks to you and then it's pretty much, you know, you, you, you have, you have trust in, uh, in what they do creatively. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I got some big trust for Xavier Georges. Um, and, uh, I just want to throw out some of my favorite, uh, um, euros, uh, gots to be loving the Hansa Teutonica because I believe Dave, this hits all of your points of it's a nice tone of brown. There's cubes and there's no theme whatsoever. It's just networking. Yeah, and there's a cover you cannot look at and say, <laughs> God, that yeah. looks like a game. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'll close. I'll close my big hype pitch out with uh, with one of my favorite area control games, El Grande. Uh, I don't think there's any. Everybody, oh, it's an area control game. And right away, I'm like, nah, it's not going to be better than El Grande, so I'm not going to waste my money, right? Or I'll research it to the point and go, it's just El Grande with a different version. So why? No, thank you. So, yeah, those are my faves. Those are some of my, and of course, Castles of Burgundy. I have a little soft spot for that game. So there you go. There's my pitch. And it's quiet. Did you have any games left for us? Uh, oh, there's lots of games left for you guys. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, I have random? My, my favorite designers. I have Feld, I have Shem Phillips, I have Alexander Fister. You know, those are the three that are, are my go-to for the Euros that really sing to me. Uh, you know, I love her uh, uh, Great Western Trail. Yeah, you know, you're going around a board. I think there's cows or something in there, but who cares? <laughs> I love the mechanics, right? Uh, you, think you mentioned cows ca- in there. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Castles of Burgundy. I'll play that anytime. But you know, some of his 
some of his other stuff like Bora Bora. You know, mm. the, the lesser known ones are just so good and so tight with those Luna. six rounds that you can't do everything and I never ever do. But I love it. Uh, you know, and Paladins of the West Kingdom is my go-to for Shem Phillips right now. I just, I can't get enough of that game. Yeah, that's a nice one. We, cool. we didn't bring that up in the definition of a Euro. It should always leave you feeling like you needed one more round. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. Or I needed one yeah. more resource. One yeah. more coin. I just needed yeah. one more coin. That's a definition of a Euro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My definition of Euro is, God, I played that well. I don't know how Mel beat me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's every time that I play Terra Mystica with Ian. It's like, <laughs> how does... How does he do this beautiful mind thing? Yeah. And just like, what, like at the end, it's like, oh, I've scored points for this now and this now and this now, and I've got 150 to Ryan's 90. Yeah. <laughs> There's end game scoring. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, for me, um, I really enjoy, I've been enjoying Mind Clash games. Like I mentioned before, like Tricarian and Anachrony are great great euro type games that kind of just took them to the next level for me um but one person that i would like to highlight like i i am also like into the vet like i love stefan felt games i love jamie stegmeyer designs i love uve rosenberg things but somebody that's really come onto the radar as of as of late and he's definitely not a new designer but he's creating some really really cool and interesting things in the euro game space is luke laurie um, so, so he's come out with um, just recently in the past, like couple years here, Dwellings of Eldervale, which is a um, probably this Euro hybrid thing that we are still have not defined entirely. <laughs> but you're scoring points in your combats on the thing, and then he's also got he developed Whistle Mountain, which is another new way of introducing the worker placement where you're building the worker placement. Air. like the worker placement slots aren't going to be the same every type of game he cryo was just a new one that he did which has really cool thematic elements and plus the fact that you know you send out your workers usually you have to bring in a you have to take an action to take them back well you when you take the action to bring them back you actually still get to do stuff with them like that was really really kind of cool and mind-blowing and then he's also got these other de- designs that he says he's coming out I think Luke Laurie is kind of like a guy here that is he's trying to redefine or re come up with cool things that worker placement because all of his games are worker placement, but every game just feels so different and how he's using the worker placement type of thing. Right on. Luke Laurie is somebody that we have to keep an eye on. He's going to be a, a designer, I think, in the next few years that we're going to be talking about quite a bit. Cool. Heard it here. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear Ian's. I, I love the foundational approach to Ian's. Yeah, I just want to say, don't uh, don't forget the classics. If a game has a big reputation, it's probably got that reputation for a reason. Mm-hmm. And some of the older games I want to point out are Raw, which mm-hmm. is a great, great auction game. Yeah, how can we go a Euro really episode well. without mentioning the Doctor, Reiner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, I think that Colosseum is just so much fun it's it's a euro it's definitely a euro game but it's has a little bit more interaction because it actually is trading and things like that kind of like settlers of old coliseum check it out because it's i don't even know if it's still in print but it's not find somebody who has it Mm -hmm. did it yeah okay 
Cool. Uh, for newer games, I would say, I've talked about this before, but Lowlands is a game that doesn't get a lot of love these days. And it's very Euro-y, especially with Norm's uh, pastoral settings that he was talking about <laughs> earlier. But it's got, it has a very interesting interaction dynamic that is very unique. Uh, so I would check it out for that. And you know what? Let's, we haven't talked about Keyflower in a while, so let's just throw out Keyflower <laughs> in there. Because Keyflower has got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, but it's it's a bidding game that's also it has the tile action. It does it all. Just go, go play <laughs> Kitchen Keyflower. Sink. It's really cool. Yeah. That's a great game. Cool. Well, if we're just if we're just casually name dropping games, Targi. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't think Ryan's mentioned Targi in a while. We can't go an episode without mentioning Targi, but Targi is actually a fantastic two-player Euro. Like usually, usually we don't have uh, these games that usually they're play they they play multiple player counts. But this was like a, the the two-player only side of things is something that we didn't explore. But Targi is a great Euro. Right on. Here we go. Got lots of brown in it. Space version <laughs> of Castle of Burgundy, Paul Sir 2849. Just a quick bump. Uh, I'm liking a lot what uh, Czech games are doing with, uh, with all their releases. And also the, uh, the, off, the offshoots. Um, uh, I forget the designer of Underwater Cities uh, used to work. Vladimir Husuhi. Yeah. Um, I think that creative house is producing a lot of really cool Euro content. Yeah. And like, because it, it is, it's a Euro based company. It's based in Europe. Yeah. Just like yeah. Um, board and dice board and dice are doing some fantastic euros. That's the um, David Turksy mm. um, designs in the T in the T games, like Tekenu yeah. and Teotihuacan. And um, what was that other one? Tarantula. Ta- no, <laughs> but all, 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 all those fantastic um, Euro Euro styled games. Cool. Well, that's we're, we're that winds us down. Um, uh, I, I think we've I think we've done a good good a encapsulation. Did, did you, we do a did we do a good homage to the homage? Uh, Does, I uh, think we nailed it and limited the uh, discussion around theme, which <laughs> I, I think we really nailed. <laughs> I think we'll come back to that in a whole episode. Yeah, uh, exactly. We'll You'll get Shay for that one. Theme Schmeen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll go to the the the, the Viva Las Thematics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right on. Dave, uh, before we head out, uh, let everybody know where they can find you, man. Uh, so we are a weekly radio show in Saskatoon. Uh, every Thursday on CFCR, there is an app to listen to that. Plus, we are all on your favorite podcast sites as we post them every Three, four, five weeks. The one thing you didn't say was the name of your show. Oh, we have a name? Uh, Board on the Air <laughs> is our name. And it's me and my daughter, Shay. Uh, and we uh, go back and forth making fun of each other. What What you saying? <laughs> yeah. And, and we can also find us on the very popular <laughs> What Have You Been Playing Wednesday show. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, get a, we'll get a speech pathologist in. We'll get, we'll get you. <laughs> We'll get you working on contractions. Yeah. <laughs> People listening to this have no idea, but there is this whole back meta story of the what have you versus oh, the, I've been playing. Oh, it's the most there. stubborn, phonetic <laughs> misdelivery I've ever had the, the pleasure of listening to every week. I'm very grammatically correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. Except for except for when you actually listen to his actual show <laughs> board on the air, he yeah, actually yeah. says "watcha." <laughs> yeah. When when it's not when it's not being published, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, hey, there, uh, there is a uh, a Twitter poll where I nearly won this. <laughs> yeah, it was a four to six for a yeah. loss that you yeah. nearly won. Cool. And, and, exactly. get, and guess and guess what, Dave? You'll hear here first that I did vote for the what have you. I, I, I knew it was you. So 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 was yeah. so it was skewed a little bit. I, I yeah. was the one who picked other. So. Yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, we always like to thank you for listening and uh, taking the time to um, um, see what we see in the board game hobby. And uh, thank you so much, Dave, for taking the time and hanging out with us. And uh, that being said, I'm your host, Norm. Um, <laughs> and I'm Ryan. And... And Ian's just laughing way too much now. <laughs> and we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course... Board Game Geek Guild number 3039.